Well, good morning, good morning. Grab your seats. We are going to jump in. So good to be with you guys this morning. I have been praying all week for you guys that God would uh, do something awesome in our hearts as we open the Word together. Um, as Sarah said, Josh is out of pocket, and I, I, I don't like it when he's gone, but I kind of do because it gives me a chance every once in a while to come back into my old stomping grounds. I was a college and young adult pastor for like the first almost 15 years of my ministry career, so I just, I love hanging out with you guys. So thanks for letting me share this morning. The title of my talk is A Ruthless Trust. And um, I want to pray here in a second, but to kind of set the talk up, I think of the image of a tree that has been stripped of all of its leaves, that's kind of bent, but it's still hanging on to life and to substance because its roots have gone down deep. And even though the storm has come and just ravaged the tree, it's still there. It's still holding on. And that's a picture of the kind of trust, the kind of faith that God wants to see formed in us, that our faith, our trust in God isn't flimsy, that when circumstances don't go the way we want, when our prayers aren't answered like that, we're not shaken, that we have a faith that is solid through the storms of this life. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into the Word. God, we thank you for a new day. We celebrate the fact that in you we are made new, that your mercies are new every morning, God, and we choose to fix our thoughts on you. Not things that we can see, but things that are unseen often, God, that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are just, that you are loving that you see us, you know us, you love us, and you want to speak to us. How incredible is that, God? So we just welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we'd all agree that trust is a tricky thing because so much in life tells us, teaches us, that if we trust, we get burned. That if we lean in too far, we get hurt. And I want to tell you two quick stories of where my trust got compromised. One that happened just this week and one that happened uh, when I was a little kid. The first one is, this week I was preparing, I I gave a little short uh, devotional to all the volunteers and staff that that gather. We gather early in the morning and we, we share some scripture, we pray. And so the scripture that I wanted to look up was this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that says that we're co-laborers with Christ. And so I'm driving in the car thinking and praying about this. And so I just, I, you know, hey Siri, look up the scripture that has to do with co-laboring in Christ. And this is what Siri bumped back to me. Here's what I found on the web for scripture about cold Labradors. So what was so funny is it actually, not, not in the screenshot, but down below, it actually brought up the scripture I was looking for, even though it was searched cold Labrador, scripture for cold Labradors. And, and, and it made me go, do I, how much do I, should I trust Siri to understand what I'm saying? We have a long-term relationship, Siri and I. We've been, we've been connecting a, a lot, and yet I don't know if I, how much I trust this um, thing called Siri anymore to, to deliver what I need when I need it. Um, 
When I was little, uh, a similar situation of something that I had built up as like amazing and, and perfect and infallible, um, I had this moment where I realized, oh my gosh, it's not what I thought. My father and I were down in West Texas where I was born, although I grew up in Colorado, and we were on the Rio Grande River where my grandfather owned all this acreage near uh, Big Bend National Park down in Texas. It, it looks a lot like this. It's rugged country. Um, this particular time we were down there, the, the Rio Grande River was flooded, so the, there was a ton of current. In some spots, it's really meandering, but this time it was flowing really hard. And my dad had this great idea. We're going to raft over to the Mexico side and fish off the canyon walls. And I'm like, I'm in. I'm like a six-year-old kid thinking, yeah, my dad's superhuman. Like, why would I ever fear? And so we, we get all of our gear loaded in. My dad think, you know, way back in the day, had these like Coke bottle glasses, super thick, couldn't see without them at all. And uh, he, we were, you know, paddling over, the current was strong, but it, my, I was with my dad and like, he, he's invincible, right? And we get over to the canyon and I'm uh, side of the canyon on the Mexico side and I'm in the front, he's in the back and he says, hey, hop out. So I go, yes, dad, whatever, you know, whatever you say. So I hop out onto the canyon wall and the raft does this, <laughs> dumps him all of our fishing gear, everything that we brought into the Rio Grande River. And my dad comes up gasping for air. His glasses get knocked off of him. And all of a sudden I realized my dad can't see. We don't have a raft anymore because it's floating down the river. All of our fishing gear is gone. And And I'm on the side of this cliff. And it was like in an instant I realized, oh, maybe my dad isn't as invincible as I thought he was. Like, I had never seen him in this vulnerable... He had, like, I looked at his face, and he had panic on his face. So here's the tricky thing. You, maybe you look back, either in the last year or so, or maybe back to your childhood, and you go, there was a time when something you'd put your trust in, you realized maybe wasn't worthy of the amount of trust you gave it. In other words, it wasn't per- going to come through for you perfectly every single time the way you had, had it in your mind. And here's where it gets really sticky is that often we project those moments of broken trust onto God, don't we? We have something that goes down um, with a person or with our phones or whatever. We go, okay, this life doesn't always play out like we want it. And then we translate that over onto, well, I don't know if I can actually trust God because maybe he'll, he, will, he will let me down the same way this person has let me down. Or this dream didn't pan out. Or whatever it may be, you go, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if trusting God is, is something I'm interested in because is it really going to be any different than the things I've placed my trust here, uh, trust here on earth that haven't worked out perfectly? I, I don't know. And so we kind of backpedal. So here's what I'd like us to do. Let's take a minute around our tables and talk to this question. Talk about a time when your trust in something or something got compromised. How ha- has that made it more difficult to trust God? Explain why or why not. So take a minute around your tables, wrestle through that question, and then we'll get started. Ready, set, discuss. All right. So show of hands, how many of you connected a moment of broken trust in something or someone to it being challenging to trust God in the here and now and the present. Yeah, pretty common, right? 
that we feel this way. I want us to revisit a guy that if you've been around church in the Bible uh, very long, you'll recognize um, that can teach us a lot about faith and what it means to trust God in our everyday moments of our life. His name is Abraham, and he's called the father of our faith for a reason, because he lived this out in such a way that the scripture actually points to him over and over again as sort of like the archetype for the person that we should go, a faith like Abraham is a legit faith and is one um, that we should pray um, that gets cultivated inside of us. So I want us to look at the scripture, uh, actually uh, several scriptures in Romans uh, 4. This first one starting in verse 4 says, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And then down on to verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. Everyone say, by faith. It is given as a free gift. Everyone say, free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. Read this last part. If we have faith like Abraham's, right? Is that up there? You guys are awful awful quiet this morning. We'd say, if we have faith like Abraham's, say it with me. If we have faith, there we go. Just making sure your mouth is working this morning. If we have a faith like Abraham. So this scripture is really, really interesting to me because on one hand, it points out that nothing we can do can earn our salvation. It is a free gift from God. But there's this clause about receiving the fullness of God's promise and, and sort of the, the, the clause, the, the, the point of con- contention is if we have a faith like Abraham's. So we do well to understand, okay, what in the world does a faith like Abraham's really mean? So if, if you're a little uh, rusty on your Old Testament Bible knowledge, let me refresh you. Abraham was the guy who God came to and he promised, he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. In fact, your descendants will be as numerous as the, as the stars. They're still discovering stars, right? They're still realizing the universe is far more uh, expansive than we ever realized. The stars are just endless. So God was saying, Abraham, like from you, from your seed, like this incredible new thing is going to happen. There's one problem with this. Abraham is 75 years old. Does that strike anybody else as a challenge? Like, Imagine coming to you, you have never had a child in your life, and God comes to you and says, from your seed, you will have more descendants than the stars. Like, God, I'm 75 years old. This is, this is tricky, right? Right? This is a little challenging here. I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. So check this out. Abraham was 75 year old, five, five years old when God first spoke promises to him. When he turned 99, the promise had not yet been fulfilled. My math is correct. It's somewhere in the ballpark of 14 years. So first off, 
You're going to be this epic father, and you're 75. He's like, oh. And then 14 years after the promise, nothing has happened. If you're in that situation, what did I say? Thank you. Did I say my, my math is correct? Yeah, 14, yeah, my math is not correct. It's 20, I'm a theologian, not a mathematician. Just kidding. 24 years. Imagine. The promise out of the gate is a little like, God, you don't understand here. <laughs> Physiologically, this is challenging for me. But then 24 years go by. If you're in Abraham's shoes, do you start doubting and do you give up? I know if I'm in that, if I'm in that position, I start to go, maybe God, Yahweh, you know, thought I was a different person. <laughs> maybe I, you know, your brain starts going, you know. So Abraham, after all of this, um, the scripture says this of him in Romans 4. When it was beyond hope, he had faith in the hope that he would become the father of many nations. In keeping with the promise God spoke to him. That's how many descendants you will have. I love that first part. When it was beyond hope. Verse 19. Without losing faith, Abraham, who was nearly 100 years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead. Oh, Paul, writing Romans. So funny. And Sarah's womb, which was dead. He didn't hesitate with a lack of faith in God's promise. But he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Man, I love that scripture. That's one that like, you're going to want to mount on your mirror or on your dash in your car, wherever, something you, you look at a lot, this idea that, that Abraham was fully convinced God was able to do what he promised. God cultivate that kind of heart in me. Man. So amazing. So Abraham, despite everything, when it was beyond hope, he still trusted and had faith that God would make good on his promises. Wow. Now we start to see, okay, this is a little bit uh, what it looks like to have a faith like Abraham's. So let's take another few minutes. We'll take a little shorter time and ask this question around your table. How can we cultivate a greater trust in God, right? Faith by itself is, yes, the seed of faith is a gift from God. In other words, if we're able to trust God for anything or believe God for our salvation, it's because he makes that possible within us. But then we have this responsibility to nurture that faith and trust in who he is in our daily lives. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate a greater trust in God? Or we could say, how do we cultivate a trust like Abraham had in God? What's our responsibility? What's our role to play? How do we make sure that grows inside of us? Ready, set, discuss. All right. I want to hear uh, from some of the tables. What are some of the things that, that you came up with? Maybe someone at your table wouldn't share themselves, but you love what they said about how to cultivate trust in God, and you want to share on their behalf. But what, what's something that came from your table that you really liked? Yeah. Yeah. Just being with him, looking at the word and seeing who he's been to other people, the narrative of scripture. Yes. What else? Yeah. Rishan.
Yeah, absolutely. We're, it's almost like you saw my notes in advance. We're going to jump into that in just a second. I love that. Talk in depth about that. What else? Don't be shy. Don't make me call on you. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Why get tricky about it? Just say, God, help me trust you. I, my trust has been broken before by people or things, and I have a hard time trusting you. Um, or maybe you didn't come through for me, God, like I thought you would. Uh, help me to not let that compromise my trust in you. Um, yeah, just straight up have a conversation with God. Novel idea, right? <laughs> yeah, what else? Yeah, Justin. Yeah, so good. I love what you said, Justin, about how there are these moments of crisis in our life that are real and we come up against. And a lot of times our ability to trust in the moment of crisis has to do with how we've walked with God leading up to that point, right? In other words, if we're in the Word and we're praying and we're trusting God in our daily moments and then something really big comes up, we go, oh, I, I know this God, I know his ways, not just his deeds, not just what I see him doing in terms of who created the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I know his ways, he's loving and kind. So when we come up against something really hard, we carry that with us into that situation versus we find ourselves in this situation and we go, okay, now I got to learn to know God and trust God. So a lot of it has to do with how we've walked up to that point, for sure. So, Rayshon, going back to what you said, uh, I'm going to answer the, my own question three different ways, and there's lots of different angles to take on this. All of what you've said back to me has been spot on. So, uh, Rayshon, I really liked your answer because it matched mine. So, um, how do we cultivate a greater trust in God? I think one of the ways we do that is we choose to recall moments when his goodness was exceptionally evident to us. So this requires a looking back in our lives, right? And my wording, I wrestled with the wording of this point for quite a long time. Because sometimes when we look back and we say, look back at when God came through for us, what we're really saying is, look back to a moment when the outcome was what we wanted. And we know that that's not how this life works, But when you look back and you look for God's goodness, it changes the equation. And it changes perhaps um, your perspective on how God is trustworthy. In other words, he doesn't promise us anything other than his presence. And that is enough for us. That is how God, number one, shows his faithfulness to us, is that he is with us. And what's crazy about it is some situations... 
that are meant to or designed by the enemy or that have a propensity to breaking our trust, our relationship with God, are actually the very things that can strengthen it. And let me show you this right out of Scripture and then tell you a story of my own life, how this happened. So this is uh, in Deuteronomy recounting the 40 years the Israelites spent wandering in the desert after they were delivered from the Egyptians, slavery in Egypt. And before I read this scripture, this is an incredible metaphor for life in faith, right? The, uh, the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians, but God, right, he, he delivered them, and the blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts, and the angel of death came over, and any, any house that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the angel of death did not kill the firstborn son in that house, Right? And what, does that make, what does that make you think of? The blood of the spotless lamb, which was Christ, his blood over our lives. The angel of death comes over us, uh, can't touch us. We're, we're bought by the blood of the lamb. So they're delivered, and Pharaoh goes, I give up. I give up. I'm releasing the people. They go through the Red Sea, which is a picture of baptism, right? They go on dry land into the water, come out the other side. But then they go into 40 years of wandering in the desert before they get to the promised land. Well, that's a picture of our life of faith. This desert that is this now and not yet moment in our life where we haven't yet fully realized the kingdom of God, which we will one day when heaven comes crashing into earth. But we're in this moment of wandering and trusting and believing God's provision and guidance for us spiritually. So read this scripture and think about how God used the desert that could have broken their trust in God to actually strengthen it. Check, it. check this out. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So check this out. These people get delivered from Egypt. They go through the Red Sea on dry land. The, 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 the Egyptians come chasing after them on chariots. The Red Sea closes up. They, the enemy is destroyed. They go into the desert and they go, oh, no. We're wandering in the desert. We went from like epic high moment to now we're in the valley of, of the desert. And God uses this to actually strengthen their relationship with him. When their eyes could not see the favor and blessing of the Lord any longer, they begin to trust that God was still at work, that God was still providing, that he was surprising them with manna, that he was leading them cloud by day, fire by night, through the desert, wherever he wanted them to go. God's goodness was exceptionally evident even though they were in the desert. And their hearts begin to say, oh my gosh, this Yahweh God is more mysterious and good and glorious than we ever could have imagined. And here's what I would argue, that when we go through seasons that the evidence of who God is disappears and we're left with a trial and a heartbreak or, or a confusion. It's this moment that the enemy wants to use to sever our relationship with God, but God is at work. 
If we keep faith, if we keep our faith, if we keep looking, if we keep trusting, the season that was meant to destroy it and disrupt our relationship with God will actually strengthen it. So five years ago, my mom, who she's amazing, um, was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And um, it, it wasn't good. The prognosis wasn't good. The cancer began to spread and progress. It was a very portable form of cancer, which means it moves around your body quickly. Very aggressive and very resistant to treatment. I remember one, um, actually it was in December, my parents came over to my house and my mom was in the midst of chemo. We were praying like crazy for healing and we were sitting at dinner and my mom just said words to me that I never thought I would ever hear ever. She said, can, Brad, can you shave my hair? Can you shave my head? And it was this surreal moment of she's had a chair in my bathtub and I take out my clippers, which are reserved for, for this <laughs> mug, and I'm shaving my mom's head, watching her beautiful blonde hair fall down onto the ground. And I'm just broken, thinking, God, where are you? Where are you in, in, this, in this? And I begged and I, I, I mean, I, I've never prayed so fervently for anything in my life and for God to heal my mom. And, and it, it didn't happen. My mom went to be with Jesus um, uh, three months after that moment in our house. And here's what I would say about that in hindsight, is as I look back on that moment, you know what I see? Yeah, I see the loss of my mom, and I'm still grieving that all these years later. We'll probably continue to grieve it in multiple ways. But you know, you know what over all of it I see bigger than the loss I see the exceptional goodness of God. He was so near to us, and he spoke tenderly to us. The scripture that says God is close to the brokenhearted, I got to live in that space with God, and it was amazing. And you know what's so cool about God is even though the outcome that I desired, I didn't get to see this side of heaven, guess, what, guess where my mom is right now? Is, is her body cancer-free? Oh, yeah. She's dancing before God, singing worship songs before God. He's healed her. And one day I'm going to get to see that, right? So in that moment, what was meant to sever, the enemy was trying everything to get me to, to, to despise God and, and ask, come on. It actually turned out to be different. So when I look back at my mother's death, I see the exceptional goodness of God. And it's because I I prayed prayers like, God, help me trust you in this moment. It wasn't something that I, I look back and see that because I'm a pastor. No, I prayed, I beg God, help me, keep my heart in the right spot. It's an incredible thing when we learn to look back and see the exceptional goodness of God, even in the most difficult moments of our life. It's incredible. You know, the people of God, used to build monuments. All they really had in many cases was rocks. So when, when the Lord would deliver them from the enemy, he, they would build these monuments called Ebenezer's. They would stack up rocks in there. That's to commemorate the victory of God. So that's how important this idea of remembering is. A lot of the New Testament, if you read it, is actually the New Testament writers going, remember when God did this, 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 and this. So in this present moment, you can Think about this, this, and this. He's constantly pointing them back to the the narrative, the journey they're on. So we do really well when we want to cultivate trust to look back and say, God, 
Even in that moment, I know you were there. Show me what you were up to. And like for me, he he takes me back to these moments when people would come over to our house and weep with us and pray over us and pray with my mom. All the food and beverages that were brought over, the goodness of God was abundant to us, even in the desert. So the next thing we can do to cultivate trust in God is intentionally rediscover him or God in each new season. This is when we've looked back, and this is when we look around us, that we become present to what God is doing in the present. We look at it full in in its face, and we say, wow, God, look at what you're doing. Did you know that I don't think the Bible actually teaches blind faith? It's kind of one of those things that we... We toss around every once in a while this idea of blindly trusting God. And I, and I get what it's saying. Like, even when you don't see evidence, you still trust. But I actually think the Bible teaches something totally different. Um, and, and here's why. In Romans 12, it says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Surrender. What does surrender require? Trust. So in view, in, in seeing it, Then you trust. So what is the perfect expression of God's mercy? It's the cross. So when we think about the finished work of Jesus and how that intersects the present moment with us, we begin to trust God in a new way. It's in view of God's mercy that we then surrender. So it's so cool for me to think about God, through the cross, rescued us. He went out and found us. So you know one of the things I do when I want to cultivate God by looking around me? I uh, I love to hear stories, and I love to meet people and be a part of people's journey that God is rescuing in real time. In In real time. I love thinking about the 25 inmates in Trinidad Correctional Facility who, last week was it? Two weeks ago, yeah, said for the very first time, I trust in Jesus as a result of a team from this ministry going down and they said, I want to follow Jesus. I look back and I go, that's something that God just did. He just rescued people who situationally, I mean, they're incarcerated. And God said, actually, you're free. And their heart went, yeah, I'm free. I'm physically bound, but inside my spirit, I'm new and I'm free and I'm whole. I go, God, you're still doing that rescuing work. I think one of the the best parts of being a pastor, and I wish it upon all of you, is that I get a front row seat to so much life change. I could bore you. Well, I probably wouldn't bore you. You'd probably love it. I could tell you stories, miraculous stories, where people were running headlong into sin and destruction and emptiness, and God supernaturally intervened in their life. I can't tell you the amount of times when I'm up front at the altar, and I'm not the only one. This happens to everybody that's up there. Uh, but for some reason, for me, it's uh, usually men 15 to 20 years older than I am. I don't know what that is. They end up coming and falling into me and weeping and just destroying whatever shirt I'm wearing with their tears. But it's God speaking to these men who have had a life full of pain, and they've buried it, and they've buried it, and then God one day says, I want to heal your heart, and they end up in my arms. I'm like, I'm holding a 65-year-old man as he weeps like a baby. This is interesting. Let's curl him up and just 
No, it's amazing. I get this front row seat. And so for me, I look around and I go, God, you are so incredible. You're still doing this incredible work of rescuing people. And I think the more you see God, the more you stay present to what he's doing in the here and now, the more you trust. In view of God's mercy. In other words, in view of his character. In view of who he is. And that's why it's so important, to your point, Justin, that we put the word of God before us regularly. Because in the word of God, we're seeing the character of God. And when we see the character of God, we surrender. We trust over and over and over and over and over again. I love this scripture in Ephesians 1.17. Paul writing, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul's writing this to a group of believers who already know God in Ephesus. They already know him, but yet he's praying, I pray that God gives you spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So it's this idea of an ongoing, unfolding, ever-increasing knowledge of God. Well, the way I like to think of it is seeing God again for the first time. The scriptures say that God's mercies are new every single morning. Did you know the uh, neurons in our brain actually mirror this reality of scripture? That the way neuroscience describe it is there's all sorts of, uh, of brain energy, if you will, that is new in the morning for us. Our brains literally regenerate themselves, new brain cells. I know if you're, if you're a biology student, I'm butchering this, but there's some sort of regeneration that happens in our mind that are waiting and saying, what do you want me to think about? I, here I am. I'm here to do your bidding. So you guys know that your mind is separate from your brain. Your mind is the metaphysical part of us that tells your brain, the physical structures in your, in your noggin, what to do, what to think about. In other words, we're in control of what we think about. That's why the Bible says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Why would it say that if we weren't capable of controlling our thoughts? Fix your thoughts on what is pure and lovely and right and true. So that's one of the ways that we stay present to what God is doing in the present is by thinking every morning about God's goodness, about how he's chosen us, how he wants us, how he has an assignment for us. We activate that part of our brain. I think that's pretty cool. And I was hoping for an amen from that. But... Oh, craziness. So good. Okay, the last thing. How do we cultivate a greater trust in God? We celebrate the future before it arrives. We look forward. Of all the thoughts that we have about the future... Very few of them include God coming to earth again and making all things new again. Making everything right. Wiping every tear from our eye. If you're like me, the majority of your thoughts about the future have to do with, well, I, I, gosh, I don't know how that's going to work out, and I wonder what I'm going to do about that, and I'm a little fearful about that, and I don't know where that, how that's going to play out. And, and we obsess about the unknown of our, of our lifespan, of our 70, 80, 90 years on earth. 
What if we used our minds to think about the end of all things? When God, actually, the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end, or however you want to look at it, when Christ comes and makes this earth new again, he sets up his home on earth, and everything that we see that is wrong and unjust and unacceptable in our eyes, he makes right. He takes care of, and he sets up the kingdom of God in all of its fullness on the earth, and we're a part of it. Think about the hope that we have in Christ. Our life, as Scripture says, is but a breath. It's gone. And then the the majority of our existence is actually in this place called eternity with God. And it is so glorious. David said that when he sees God, he will be satisfied completely. In other words, all the desires of his heart, all the longings of his heart will be met in complete and totalness when he sees Jesus. Do you think he's the only one that's going to happen to? Uh, No, that's all of our futures. So think about every single thing that you long for, that you desire, that you dream about. Guess what it is? It's a shadow of your true desire for Christ. And guess what? He's coming again. That's your future. And sometimes, you guys, when life gets really, really painful and really, really hard, and looking back just feels like, I've thought about that already, or I haven't resolved that already. I haven't seen how your goodness was there in that situation, because that's really jacked up. In the present, I'm just a pile of anxiety and whatever. Sometimes in those moments where I go looking around and looking back seem really hard to me, you know what I do? I open up the scriptures, and I say, God, this is so jacked up right now. Everywhere I look, I see pain. In my own soul, I see brokenness. But I know one day, God, Holy smokes, you're going to complete what you started on the earth, and you're going to make all things new. And suddenly, gratitude and trust begins to flicker a little bit back into my heart when it's been depleted. It's beautiful. What if we celebrated the future before it even happens? Because we know what the future is. We know where this thing is heading. Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know, one of the things we know and can celebrate about tomorrow, not even just the final end of things, but tomorrow is that Christ is still working in us and through us. He never gives up. He never gives up on us. You guys... In my natural mind, I don't understand how God hasn't given up on me. And if you're honest, you will think the same about yourself. God, how could you still love me and think that I could do anything good after all that I've done and gone through and thought, my motives? Goodness. God says, I'm still at work. I still love you. I still like you. I'm so crazy about you. I'm still right here. Tomorrow when you wake up, I will be there to greet you. Tomorrow when you wake up, guess what? I'm going to say, hey, you ready for the adventure today? Yesterday you weren't so up for the adventure with me because you were you know, way too consumed with your own stuff. You ready? Let's go. Let's do this. I love you. Come on. Woo-hoo. God's like, I feel, I feel like God sometimes like, I wake up and he's like, let's go, let's go. Come on. Like, he's so excited 
to see me, for me to engage. And he's hoping that I will step into the invitation of the, of the day. That's what our future holds. Look at this scripture, 2 Peter 3.13. But in keeping with his promises, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So good. All right, let's, let's stand and we're going to pray together. And I want us to just try to find a space where we can put ourselves in our mind's eye before God. Maybe for you, it's he's sitting beside you and he's, he's quiet, but you know he's there. Maybe in your mind's eye, you're, you're sitting across a table and he's just lovingly looking at you and saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. Welcome to my presence. Whatever that space is for you, I just want us to think about what David said earlier when he said, sometimes I just, I just ask God straight up, help me to trust you. So maybe right now in this moment, you just want to say that to God in the quietness of your heart. God, help me to trust you. God, help me to look back and see things in my past differently. Maybe those moments when you thought God let you down, it was just the outcome that that wasn't what you expected, but God was faithful. He was there. And he will make it fully right one day. God, sometimes we're trusting you for an outcome because it's something we have heard from you or read in the scriptures, and that's okay. But God, ultimately, we don't want to trust in an outcome. We want to trust in you. You're telling an amazing story that has an amazing end. Or we get to be with you in the new heaven and the new earth. So God, will you heal those places in our heart where trust has been compromised? God, we, we do wise to be cautious of who we trust on this earth. Probably every person that we love will let us down in some way or another. But God, I pray that wouldn't bleed over into our relationship with you. Because you are faithful, perfectly good. You never have, nor will you ever be found lacking, asleep on the job. God, help us to lean into your goodness so that we can trust you more today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.